pastor's uh, out of pocket this morning, but uh, uh, he looked around the staff on uh, the other day, and and he has this series we're in, and he said when it fits me most is am I a sinner, and so he assigned me uh, the message to bring on am I a sinner. About 83 years ago, a little cute, handsome, black-haired, curly-headed boy. A salesman walks up on our porch and knocks on the door, and my family, oh, by the way, I'm, I was, I was that boy I was talking about now, okay? <laughs> family, I was all out in the fields picking cotton, and I was at home that day by myself, and he, uh, not, he knocked and he said, I'm a salesman, I'm selling Garrett Sweet Snuff. And I said, well, my mom and all of us out in the fields picking cotton. And uh, he said, well, I'll give you these uh, samples and you give it to your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters. And I said, okay. And he gave me 12, 12 uh, Garrett Sweet Snuff, about that big a little can, giving me 12 of those. Well, I was pretty smart. Not only was I cute, but I was very smart. And I took six of those cans and put it under the barn and hid it. And when my mom comes in the house, I said, Mom, here's some snuff that the guy left us. And so I gave it to my family. But I kept a secret about under the barn was the snuff. And I'd go down two or three times a day, crawl under the barn, pull it out, and put me some snuff like that, okay? And I had these two front teeth out. And I could spit from here to that front view right there. We called it skeeting, you know, we called it spitting today, but we called it skeeting because I got like that and spit that far. Well, that was how I learned how to lie. And I was doing something probably I should have done. And I had got a habit of that. And I, I chewed and dipped snuff starting at five years old until uh, the end of my teenage years until I started dating Miss June, and all that stopped <laughs> because she wouldn't let me kiss her with snuff. And I've told you before how you tell a level-headed man, snuff runs out both sides at the same time. <clears throat> but just told you that story for this reason. We're all sinners, aren't we? I started very young, lying and uh, keeping secrets from my mom that I shouldn't have been keeping from her. But I learned also that I am a sinner saved by grace now. I was thinking the other day, where did it all start? And you know this. It started way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, listen to these words. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field 
which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband. Now ladies, notice that. You're the first one that got us in trouble. She also said to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. That's where it all started, with the first Adam. We have to look back to that every time when we think about, am I a sinner? Matthew 1.21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in 1 John 4.7-10, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest, turned toward us, that God had sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not the love of God. It is the love of God, but that it loved us, and God loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means atoning sacrifice. God paid the price. He atoned our sins. He forgave our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23 says, you all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now those scriptures actually brings me today to what I want to talk to you about, and it's in Psalm 51. Turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 51, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Psalm 51. I'll start and I'll come back to this later. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, 
and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, I call this purge me and wash me. The only good thing that can be said about David's sin is that his repentance was even greater than his sins. God declared that he was a man after God's own heart. David was a great man. But he, David is like many of us and most of us who have tumbled badly into sin. First thing he began to coast is why he entered into sin. You say, Brother Ben, what do you mean? He coast. He left his working of God. He left off working for the Lord Jesus Christ or God himself, God Jehovah. He settled for an act of inaction. He quit doing things for God. He quit fighting for God. Instead of leading in the battle, he turned the command to Joab, and the people of God went out to battle. Now listen to what Samuel 11.1 1 says, But David tarried still at Jerusalem. He stayed at home when he should have been at battle against the enemy. And the devil found him there. He was coasting. He quit. He quit fighting. And the devil found him there. Second thing, he failed to mind his own business. He meddled in the neighbor's affairs. His eyes wandered from his own rooftop. Mind you, if you mind your own business and stay out of other people's business, <clears throat> you have a better opportunity to stay away from sin. The third thing, he had a traitor in the camp. The old Adam. The carnal nature. That's all of us. We'll always have that as long as we're in the human body. That carnal nature is there. Does not say we're not Christians if we give our life to Jesus, but we are carnal in nature. That old nature comes back to us many times. And it appears from the Bible viewpoint that David lived in a moral, spiritual numbness for at least one year of his life. He might have even returned, never turned to God, but there was something happened in his life that many of us have experienced in our own lives. There was a bold, young evangelist who was nearby. His name was Nathaniel, or Nathan, excuse me, Nathan. And Nathan preached what God told him to preach. And that's what a preacher ought to preach, what God tells him to preach. Then he went to David privately after he preached to David. And he laid it all out to him, person to person. It wasn't an, anything that to do with Nathan's uh, preaching about personal to someone, but God said, preach this to David now. And he laid it out before David, and Nathan took his life in his hand when he did that. Because the king had ultimate control of what was in his life and what happened around him. He could speak one word. He said, kill him. Take his life instantly. No jury, no courts. 
the king had ultimate say. And so Nathan took his life in his own hand. He might have ended up like John the Baptist with his head cut off. But he, he took that risk and he preached the word of God. To, and Nathan approached the supreme example of Christ's teaching here when he taught about sin. Matthew 10, 16 says, Wise as a serpent, <clears throat> harmless as a dove. Who can forget the story about David and how it really happened? Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. <clears throat> Over in 2 Samuel. <clears throat> Chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and uh, nourished and grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay at his own bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take him in his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one of the one meal for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the, the man who had, had come to him. And so David angry with greatly aroused, angered with greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold of the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, listen to this now, you are the man. Thus the Lord of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. What an amazing story. And how David was aroused with his anger because of what this man had done, taking the little ewe lamb of the poor man, who was like his family. The Holy Spirit helped Nathan tell the story. David interrupted the preacher and shouted, The man that has done this shall surely die. Then Nathan said, Thou art the man. What a, what a thing to say to him. The king. But the preacher, the evangelist, said that to him. The Holy Spirit brought conviction in the heart of that man. I told you before about my mom, and <clears throat> she was at my home in Missouri, and she left to pick cotton, and she comes up and she says, I want to pick cotton for a week or two, and so I go and get her and bring her to my home, and, and uh, she had been hearing me preach and, uh, a few times, and then she heard me a few Sundays when she entered my home, and once one Sunday morning, I preached and gave the invitation, and my little old mom 
four foot 11, 95 pounds, comes walking down the aisle, weeping, tears coming down her old face, and I ran about halfway up the aisle to meet her, and I picked her up in my arms like this, and held her like this, and she put her head on my shoulder and just started weeping. And she said, I'm lost, Ben, I'm lost. She had conviction like I'd never seen anybody have before. And I held her in my arms, we didn't even kneel together, but I held her in my arms and we prayed the sinner's prayer. And she asked Jesus to come into her heart. I'd never seen so much conviction on someone's face. At Rogers one Sunday morning, a lady who'd lived in open sin for years and years comes down the aisle and we had an altar at the front of the church, across the front of the church, and she comes down and I meet her and I kneel on this side of the altar, she's on that side of the altar, and I put my hands over her hands and started praying for her. And it's the only time in my whole ministry this has ever happened. Her tears wet my hands. They were hot tears. They, they flashed on my hands. They were hot. And I thought to myself, oh God, you brought conviction to this lady. She's given her life to you now. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brought conviction in her life. <clears throat> in Crawfordsville, Arkansas, where I pastored for eight years after I came out of seminary, one Sunday morning, the town prostitute, everybody knew her, knew she was a prostitute. She came to service one Sunday morning. She, didn't, she sat over to my right, and, and uh, I gave the invitation. I looked at her face, and I could see something was wrong in her face, and, but she didn't do anything, and she left. The next Sunday, she was there again. And I gave, preached and gave the invitation, and that prostitute comes down the aisle, kneels at the front, gives her life to Jesus Christ. The next day, in the drugstore where we'd all meet to have coffee, all the guys would meet there, have coffee every morning about nine o'clock. And we were sitting there in the booth and had a plate glass window in front. And this woman walked in front of that place, that window, and one of the guys said, who was that? And I said, that's so-and-so. It was the prostitute. Her whole countenance had changed. They didn't even recognize her as she walked in front of that place, that window. I thought to myself, amazing what God can do it was amazing what God was doing in the life of bringing conviction to David. David bowed his head and said, I have sinned. I have sinned. David prays for two things. First, for forgiveness. Forgive me. God, forgive me. Second, purge me and cleanse me. So many only asked for the first. Listen to me closely. Most people today only ask for the first. They ask for forgiveness. You'll never be truly happy, though, without cleansing. It has to be a cleansing. 
But you cannot enjoy cleansing unless you seek it with forgiveness. They go together. David makes the double need abundantly plain. Now look at Psalm 51 with me again. And look at verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He asked forgiveness on the grounds of God's tender mercy. He called upon God for forgiveness. He does not beg exemption from his sin because he, after all, is not so bad, he might have thought, or because he sinned under extraordinary temptation. He didn't ask forgiveness for that reason. Or because he killed Goliath, he didn't ask forgiveness. Or because he brought the ark to Jerusalem, he didn't ask for sins to be forgiven for that. Or he didn't ask for exemption because he had written the 23rd Psalm. All the good and all the bad things he didn't ask for. He appealed only to God's nature to forgive. <coughs> this is why self-righteousness is never a good plea. We're not righteous. We're sinners. <coughs> David did not try to excuse his sin. Forgiveness is one of the most wonderful experiences of anybody's life. It's a marvelous experience. But that doesn't remove the spot. It doesn't remove what we've done in our lives. He wanted something thorough through and through in his life. He prays, wash it out. David will not yield to his prayer. He continues to pray that. Listen, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me against you you only have I sinned and done this evil sight in your sight there was a group a number of years ago and I'll not call their name maybe somebody that was special to you but they were evangelists and they traveled in a group a group of people around eight or ten of them and they'd come to your church and and uh, they had some marvelous results. But they had something that I never really got a hold of in my life. And it was this. They said, now, if you've sinned against anybody in this room, go to them right now and tell them. Or if they're out of the church, out somewhere, go tell them about it. I've wondered about that many times. Because David said against you, talking about God, and you alone, have I seen? So going around asking forgiveness, God knows how to forgive that, but you don't have to say that to everybody because it's God that we've sinned against. Be careful what you do and how you confess things. <coughs> now, excuse me, look at verse 5 and 6. He says in verse 5, Behold, I brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, 
you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me known in wisdom then he says in verse 7 purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow David wanted more than surface job done he wanted cleansing he took a bowl of blood and held it in his left arm he took hyssop which is a little leafy thing and he went through sprinkling the blood and asking for forgiveness and when the priest went into the tabernacle he would always do the same thing he carried that basin of blood in his left hand and hyssop in his right hand he sprinkled as he went it was a type of Jesus Christ that's what it meant Jesus Christ David wanted more than ceremonial cleansing he wanted more of supernatural than he'd ever had before is there anything whiter than snow <coughs> yes because snow is not always completely white it has things in it a pollution it picks up and I don't know where my mom got this years ago but when it would snow for the first time in the year we never got to eat snow ice cream from the first snow because she said the first snow clears the air and makes it more pure and so we'd get to have snow ice cream at the second snowfall and so snow is not always perfectly white we know that your snow is not perfectly white it carries particles of pollution in it David didn't want anything of old tendency left not one spot left he wanted it completely cleansed he wanted old things to pass he wanted new things in his life in verse 8 he said make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice there it is folks listen that's a marvel he felt it had been on a rack like a like you're being uh, punished on a rack like they did in olden days like the cross was a sign of, of uh, pain and difficult in life and David had gone through all that he had hurt so badly because he had sinned so deeply you must lie at the feet of Jesus broken and willing and contrite before you can have forgiveness from God love can heal you right now and put you together right now you must hunger and thirst for righteousness look at verse 9 hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity he wanted God to say you're cleansed I forgive it's all cleansed all going away now David wants to repent record in his life and set things straight in his life David says create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit with me he's saying right here do something for me that I cannot do for myself you can't do it folks for yourself cleansing comes from God not from people not from what you do it comes from God. 
renew a right spirit within me, he says. Do something for me I cannot do for myself. The hand of God must make me clean. Verse 11 says to us, <coughs> Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That is a desire for forgiveness. That is a desire for to have God come into our lives and make us clean. Like it says in verse 12 now, Restore in me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. God does that cleansing for us. There it is, folks. Joy and freedom comes when forgiveness comes. Like David, he wanted it back again, but when it's supernatural, he wanted joy back again. He had been on that rack of punishment. Now he says, I want to have joy again. And God gave him that joy again. In verse 13, he says, Oh, he says, then I will teach transgressions your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. David says, when I get right with God, then will I be able to lead sinners to Christ. That's the only time you can when you're cleansed yourselves. Sinners want to behold a new brand of living, not patchwork. They don't want that. They want something different. Something that really works is what they really want. And in verse 14, listen to what he says here. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David did not want everyday things. He wanted something very different. He wanted to feel clean from his sin. The only way is to have forgiveness from God. In verse 15 through the rest of the chapter, he says, O Lord, open my lips, and my, my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, will you not despise. Do good in your pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then ye shall be pleased with the sacrifice and righteousness when burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings are brought to you. <clears throat> then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Forms, ceremonies, gifts, labor, self-denial, Deeds of charity, torment of the body, cannot bring either pardon or purity. There are people today that crawl up steps toward a cross and a statue on their knees, and so their bloody knees and hands will show that they're repenting. That's not needed at all. You must come with a broken, contrite heart. God did it for David. Yes, 
I'm a sinner. I confess that to you today. But most of all, I confess it to God. I need his forgiveness. I need his cleansing. And so do you. Listen closely. My last statement to you. No sin is too great to be forgiven. No sin is too great to be forgiven. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for the 51st chapter of Psalms. Thank you for David. He sinned, took another man's life, took another man's wife, but God forgave him because he came with a broken heart and said, Oh God, forgive me. That's what we all must do. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' name.